Today's scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. So Jesus takes his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to a region that was predominantly inhabited by Gentiles called the Decapolis. They would see something there, Jesus' disciples, that they would never forget. And I think it's something we need to see today. I think it's something we need to pay close attention to, especially as a young brand new church. Uh, looking out at this crowd, many of you, several of you have made some big sacrifices to be a part of something new. Right? Being a part of something new, any type of new thing, change in life can be very exciting. But you know it can be just as scary and frightening as it is exciting and encouraging. You know, in the Bible, there's a principle scene that changed people never get to enjoy static complacency. In the Bible, you see again and again that a changed life never remains complacent or static or hesitant. Actually, what you see in the scriptures is that transformation produces 
proclamation. So we're going to look at this idea today. Now, we're reading about a man in Mark chapter 5 who was remarkably changed by the mercy of God. This guy living in the tombs, they were caves on the hillsides by the Sea of Galilee. This guy was a tormented soul. I want you to picture somebody in your life, somebody you've known or have heard about, somebody in your family or somebody in your community. Just picture a tormented soul. Maybe somebody who's chemically imbalanced, somebody who is depressed, maybe suicidal, always angry, uncontrollable, unconsolable, right? Maybe somebody who's always afraid, somebody who's always feared, right? This person, maybe, maybe her parents are, are at their wits end. They don't know what to do for her. They don't, want, they don't know what to do about her. They're fr- her friends. Right? Maybe his counselors are ineffective after years and years of work. Maybe his teachers have nothing more to teach him, nothing more to say. The police at times have even gotten involved and even they can't seem to help. Picture a tormented soul. Okay, that's who this guy is. Now Mark reveals that beneath the physiology and the psychology of what this guy is going through is spiritual oppression. Oppression that is so great that when Jesus asks him, what's your name? He says, legion, because we are many. Okay. Now, a Roman legion, a Roman military legion was over 6,000 soldiers. And we know that right on the hillside, there are 2,000 unfortunate pigs who are in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the point of the passage is, is not to figure out exactly what is the number. Okay? How, many, how many dark spirits are taking up residence in this guy's life. That's not the point. The point is we are many. The idea is there is an army of unclean spirits, right, racking this guy's brain. That's what's going on. And then Jesus reveals the power of God and the mercy of God. This tormented soul was radically, actually frighteningly, transformed so that he is sitting there, we're told. Village people come along. He's sitting there. He's clothed. Who knows what he looked like before this? He's clothed, and the passage says he's in his right mind. Think of the person you're thinking about, and imagine what you would think and how you would feel if all of a sudden you saw them, and you could have a rational conversation with them. They may even start asking you questions about yourself. How are you doing? How can I be helpful to you? Let me tell you what's going on in my life. Can you imagine what you would think? And so Jesus unleashes the power of God and the mercy of God upon this tormented soul. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, but I'll bet if you ask someone who's who's serious about Christianity, who's serious about Jesus Christ, a Jesus follower, if you ask them to tell you about how Jesus has impacted them, I guarantee you they will have a pretty remarkable story to share with you about how the power of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus has radically transformed them. Maybe not an incredibly uh, Hollywood-like story like this, but I'm sure in some profound way, a Jesus follower will be able to tell you, hey, this is how I've changed. You have no idea what I used to be like. 
You'd be amazed if you knew me before now. And Jesus not only releases this man from his oppression, but he gives him something to do, right? Once God changes you, your mission is to tell people that he's changed you. Pretty simple. Jesus didn't grant the man's begging request to follow him. He said, take me with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with your people. I want to follow you. I don't ever want to leave you. Jesus just says no, because not everybody is called away. But Jesus gave the man a charge. He tells us in verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And friends, this, in the very least, this is the Christian life. He was called to stay, wasn't called to go away. And uh, he was not called to be idle, right? But to be actively engaged in response to what Jesus had done for him. So the power and the mercy of God upon you produce a definite mission in your life. Now, Becky and I, again and again, have been called away. We have several times in our lives been called to go to a people that aren't ours and a place that's not ours for Jesus' sake. And that's been the case for some of you, right? But for many people in this room, you are called to stay, right? God, as a, as a Christian, you, you are being called by Jesus to work for Jesus, basically, amongst your own people, right? In the vicinity of the place or the region that you're familiar with, in which you've always been to your own place, to your own people. Some are called away, some are called to stay, but we're all called. Everyone who has met Jesus has been changed, transformed by the power of God and the mercy of God, whether here or away, whether home or abroad, everyone's called. So I want to encourage you today, if you're a Christian, ask God to give you a joyful, contagious appreciation for what he's done for you. Uh, if you can walk away remembering that, just to start praying, God, give me a joyful, contagious appreciation for what you've done through me, what you've done in me, I'll be happy if you remember that. And so that you can agree with the psalmist, which we read earlier, Psalm 66, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Or like Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations. Now, I have a question for you at this point. What do you think inhibits in one's life a joyful, contagious appreciation for what God has done? What do you think? The fear of talking to people. Okay. Comfort. Getting distracted with stuff, the things of this world, the things of this life. Spiritual forgetfulness. Can, can you elaborate on that a little bit, Taylor? What?
that was helpful, okay? Rem- remembering what God has done, forgetting what God has done. Good. There were a couple of other hands. Misunderstanding God's blessings. They come to us, but we see them as harmful, as a threat. Misunderstanding what he's doing, yeah. It's hard when when you consider how far away you've drifted from your creator or how sinful you've been, what you've done or what you've thought. Um, It's hard to have an appreciation and a joy for what he's doing, okay? Almost like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be joyful. Uh, I don't deserve to be appreciative. Is there one more? Yeah. Conflict. Contention in our relationships with others, whether it's in our family, in our home, or whether it's with other people, or Christians, or just friends, or neighbors, or coworkers. Yeah, conflict and, and contention. Good. Great. I heard comfort is, is an obstacle to this. Um, fear is an obstacle to this. Good thoughts. You know, I think the passage actually reveals uh, two factors that inhibit grace-filled proclamation in our own lives. And when I mean proclamation, I don't simply mean verbally proclaiming, hey, let me tell you about Christianity, let me tell you about Jesus. Of course I mean that, but I'd like to say proclamation in a broader sense. Just the idea of knowing that we have a mission as Christians to share in our living and in our speech what the Lord has done for us, okay? That's kind of the general category. I think the passage reveals two factors that inhibit it, that inhibit this, that prevent this in your life, okay? The first is, I think just, and somebody kind of mentioned it, laziness, okay? Ask yourself, spiritually speaking, am I lazy? Do I love my comfort so much that I'm not doing I'm not saying what I know God has called me to say or what God has called me to do. Do I lack the type of commitment that I see in this healed demoniac who in his sane mind says to Jesus, just take me with you. I, just, I, I want to I be with you. I want to be in your entourage. I want to get back in the boat, go right back across to the other side of the lake. I want to be with you. Just, just radical abandonment of his normal circumstances and and. and total commitment. Ask yourself, do, do, do I see in my life an unwillingness to commit wholesale as you see this changed demoniac commit? Um, not everybody's an apostle or a pastor's wife um, or a preacher or a missionary or an university staffer, right? And so we start thinking, well, you know, I mean, those people are really called. I, I'm kind of called. They're really called. I mean, you know, let's, I mean, I'm a Christian and everything, but let's be reasonable about this, okay? Um, I'm not going to give my life up or anything like that, okay? And we start thinking that way as Americans. But Jesus said to his followers, and this is a paraphrase, 
Whoever loves family more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So ask yourself, am I being lazy when I think about what the Lord has done for me? Now here's a second factor I want to draw your attention to, fear. And one of you mentioned fear. Ask yourself this week, am I afraid of Jesus rearranging my life and bringing into my life a chaotic disorder? Did you see what Jesus did in this community, right? Amongst the Gerasenes? He um, radically changed a community. He turned a community on its head just to bring blessing to one individual and through that individual to bring hope to an entire region. These people come out of the villages to the seaside to see 2,000 dead pigs and a radically transformed lunatic. And the two things that are going on there, what does Jesus do first? He, he, tra- he disrupts their perception of reality. They see a lunatic in his right mind, fully clothed. Okay, so he, he remarkably changes their perception of reality, and then he does something else. He destroys their economy. Now, I love bacon. This is a, this is a tragedy to me. 2,000 pigs drowning in, in, in the sea. I, I think all that bacon, it's horrible. I love bacon. You may be wondering why, like, aren't these Jews? Well, not necessarily. It's the Decapolis, 10 cities, largely uh, Gentile. There were Jews there as well, but it's a largely uh, Gentile area. And they lose their pigs, 2,000 of them. So not only does he disrupt their perception of reality, he disrupts their economy and their welfare. And by the way, according to statistics, stress over work and finances, workplace stress, money is still the biggest stressor in American society. Okay? You can imagine what it's like when your economy, when your job, when your finances are disrupted. And so Jesus messes with their perception of reality. He messes with their economy. And so what do they do? They beg him to leave. The healed man begs to go with Jesus. The community begs for him to leave. But the apostle Paul, speaking to his young friend Timothy, said, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So ask yourself, am I afraid of a temporary, chaotic rearranging of my life by the power and mercy of Jesus? There's no middle ground. When we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, when he has an impact on our soul, there's no middle ground. There's going to be some type of change. He demands a response from us. And either we commit to him wholesale like the healed man did or like the community in which he was an outcast, we beg him to leave us alone. Those are the two responses. Lord Jesus, I'm committing to you. Lord Jesus, please leave me the heck alone. You know, we need more than just a mission to stay faithful 
to our identity as Christians. We need more than just a mission to succeed in what that mission entails, okay? And what we need and the missing piece, if we're afraid and if we're lazy, is grace. The source of the transformation that takes place and the source of the mission in which we speak about that transformation is a gospel that reveals that a God exists who pursues us. The gospel reveals that the creator of the universe pursues terribly oppressed sinners. I think what happened to this man was real. I don't think it's a myth. I don't think it's a, le- uh, um, I don't think it's a legend. I think he was spiritually messed up and oppressed by real spiritual forces, okay? But you can, I hope you can find yourself somehow in this man's experience, feeling like you're a, you're a prisoner in chains to what life has done to you, to how you think, to how you feel, to what people say about you. Now listen, this is the reality of the gospel, which is good news, the good news of Christianity, that Jesus chose to cross a divide to pursue you. Now think about it. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus had been teaching all day, teaching about parables, teaching parables um, on the seaside. And then he said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus had a reason to cross the lake in a storm to get to the other side. These weren't people who were asking for his help. The demoniac was not asking for help. The people of that community of the Gerasenes were not asking for help. But Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Jesus reveals a God who pursues you. And this is grace, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And here is Jesus uh, exemplifying that in his ministry. I want to draw a contrast between two types of justification. And what I mean by justification is thinking that you're okay, okay? Thinking that you're okay in the world and in God's eyes, okay? There's works justification and there's grace justification. There's justifying yourself by the works you do and the life you, you live, and there's just being justified by grace. Here's the difference. Works justification is saying to people, look at what I've done. Look at me, look at my life, look at how good I am. Or the reverse side of that is if you're a failure, if you feel like you're a failure, if you feel miserable about yourself, it's, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that's the way I am. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to hear from me. That's living by works righteousness, trying to establish your own goodness, trying to establish your worth by what you do and what you say and who you are. Well, naturally, you know that if you don't think you're much and if you don't think you have anything to offer and if you don't think you have anything to say, you're not gonna say anything. You're gonna live in fear or you're gonna live in laziness in the context of what we're talking about today. That's why we're afraid. That's why we're lazy because we live a life where we try and, we try and justify ourselves by the life we're living. But there's also something more beautiful, which is the Christian message. It's grace justification. And it's very different. It's the exact opposite. It's saying, look at what God has done. I know the person I was. I know the way I still can be. 
but look at what God has done in me. Look at what God is doing despite who I was. That's grace justification. Knowing that you're okay because of what God thinks of you. Knowing that you're okay because Jesus pursues you and offers you his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection. Because you can't, you can't muster all that up on yourself, by yourself. And that, living by grace justification, it, it defeats laziness in us. Because we're too amazed by what God's done. We're too amazed and we, we can't help but talk about it. We can't help but be contagious in our relationships. Grace justification also defeats our fear because we're convinced that Jesus is committed to the mission that he's called us to. Grace justification relies on Jesus' words, Jesus' power, Jesus' truth, Jesus' strength, Jesus' record, and not my own. So now I don't have to be afraid of being a failure because it's up to him. And so the Apostle Paul again said to his young friend Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. I don't think Jeff and Michelle made it here today. We were going to pray for them after the service. We're still going to pray for them if you want to join us here about five minutes after the service. Uh, through their challenges, as long as I've known them for the past year, I've said several times, well, how can I be praying for you for this next procedure or for the next, this next hospital visit, this next doctor visit? And, you know, there's always, hey, pray for this, pray for this physical or, or medical aspect, pray for this doctor or this surgeon. But what I hear again and again is... Pray for opportunities to share the hope that we have in Jesus while we're at the hospital. We're going to be interacting with people, meeting people. Just pray that God will give us an opportunity to tell people what he has done in our lives. Some of us are called abroad. Some of us are called home. Some of us are called away. Some of us are called to stay. But in Christ, we're all called. Transformation produces proclamation. Jesus proved that he is so committed to completing his mission that he will disrupt an entire community. He will disrupt an economy. He will disrupt your job. He will disrupt your relationships. He will disrupt government. He will disrupt the entire world to reach one tormented soul. Has he not done that for you? Let him do it. Has he already done that for you? Well then, rejoice in that. Stop stalling and ask him to work in your life. Commit to him wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Commit to him. And it's not your commitment level that assures you of a success. 
It's his commitment level to what he's doing. And it's his commitment level to you that overcomes your fear, that overcomes your laziness, right? There's no excuse for being lazy anymore. And there's no need to be afraid. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus crossed the divide of eternity into space and time to disrupt the entire order of things to reach tormented souls like me and like my friends here. Father, we ask as a church and as individual people for a joyful appreciation for your power and mercy given to us that will be contagious. Father, show us your calling upon us where we are. And if we're not where we're supposed to be, show us where you're calling us to go. In either setting, help us to trust you. We confess our laziness to you. We confess our fear. And we ask that Jesus would assure us of his commitment to the goal. For his sake, for his glory, we love you. We thank you. Amen.